Mark chapter 5, verse number 25 through 34. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. I'm excited this morning. I feel like I'm about to jump out of my skin. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm, I got to give birth. This thing has just got to get out of me this morning. And I'm talking in the spirit, obviously, because we know there's some funny things going on today out there. So in the spirit. Are you there? Verse number 25. Now, uh, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and has suffered many things from many physicians. She has spent all that she had and was no better. But in fact, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your affliction. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. Father, there's power in your word. Father, we trust that there is going to be something that will be deposited by the Holy Spirit that will transcend our lives. Father, we thank you for the privilege. I thank you, Lord, that you're using these lips of clay. Father, I don't feel worthy to stand before your people and say anything. But, Father, I am reminded of the blood, the blood of Jesus that allows me to go beyond the veil into your very presence. Now, Daddy, I remove myself out of the way that you might be magnified. Father, let the people see all of you and none of me. Blind them to what they see before them and let them see you in the realm of the spirit so that the word will fall on good ground and bring forth fruit unto everlasting life. We thank you. We give you the praise in Jesus name. Amen. I don't know if some of you remember back when I was in college, back in the mid-80s, Mike Tyson was considered probably the, uh, you know, probably one of the best boxers and still is today of all time. At that particular time, Mike Tyson, his opponent would fear to even step in the same ring with him because this man had such power in his hand that most people that fought this man, they didn't last but two rounds. And so a lot of times the opponents were already defeated before they got in the ring with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was this young man who was trained, and I mean, he was a student of boxing, you can tell. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something, he's the first guy that I ever saw knock a man out with a body blow. And I said, man, this guy is incredible. Mike Tyson came along kind of like during a time when boxing was kind of like on the down, you know, because back when Muhammad Ali was boxing, there was uh, Joe Frazier, there was George Foreman, and, 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 you know, these seemed to kind of capitalize the, you know, of course, Muhammad Ali took it to a whole other level. So boxing was kind of like going out of style a little bit, if you will. And all of a sudden, Mike Tyson comes on the scene, this young, brash, stoic kind of a, man who would go in the ring and just terrorize his opponents. He beat everybody up within a couple of rounds, and it came point in time that it was time to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. And I remember I was, I was in college in those days. I, was, I think I was like a, a freshman or sophomore in college, and I can remember all of us who went to one of my friends' house. We went and got popcorn, and 
We went and got drinks and because Michael Spinks, you know, was the heavyweight champion of the world. And now Mike Tyson, supposedly now, he's going to really be tested because he got to fight the heavyweight champion. And I remember getting our stuff, and I was so excited. All of us, man, we had the music blasting. We were all getting pumped, got our stuff, sit down, ready to watch the fight. And I remember, and it still sticks in my mind until this day, Mike Tyson walks in the ring. Well, no, first, Leon, no, Tyson is already in the ring. Mike, um, Michael Spinks walks into the ring. And he had this look on his face of terror. And I looked at him and I said, now I wasn't, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But how many know that your demeanor says a whole lot about you? The way you carry yourself. Here's Mike Tyson over in the corner. He's, uh, you know, he was doing this thing. He was sticking and shaking. And Leon and, and Michael Spinks, he's walking up in the ring and he's like, he's doing this thing, but he's looking like this. You know, he won't, he won't make eye contact with nobody. He, he, and I said, and I looked at my boys, I said, Man, that dude's scared. He's, scared. he's the heavyweight champion, and he's scared to death. And I kept saying, you know, he's going to throw this fight. Sure enough, 90 seconds into the fight, Michael Spinks goes down. Tyson becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. Now, in my theory, I, I think that the man was so afraid, he was so terrorized, that he wasn't trying to fight Mike Tyson because he didn't want to have to absorb some of those blows. But the reality of it is, is, and I want to talk to you this morning about raising your expectations. Michael Spinks did not expect to win when he came in that ring. And how many know that Mike Tyson can sense it? When people can see that you lack confidence, you lack boldness, I mean, no, it's particularly when you're talking about the devil, he will lap you up when you are walking in fear. That's why the Bible says, that people of God, we don't walk in fear. You see, Michael Spinks was already defeated. His expectation was that I just want to get in and get out alive. The brother never thought much about, can I actually win this thing? See, as the people of God, we must learn to raise our expectations. When you came here this morning, what was you expecting? See, if you, if you expect that people are not going to respect you and people don't like you, then they probably don't. See, if you expect that you're nobody and God is not going to move and nothing great is going to happen, then probably it won't. But God, what God will do with the people that will come with an expectation, not just in coming to church, it should be automatic. I hope you didn't get up this morning walking in through the doors thinking to myself, I'm not expecting that God is going to do anything. I just want to kind of get through this and go home. Because that is exactly what you're going to get. Why? Because, see, you're like, you're like Michael Spinks. You don't really expect anything to happen. And one of the things that we understand about God, God says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. If God, if you study the scriptures over and over again, the folks that God did things for, the, 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 the great miracles, these were people that had an expectation that God was going to do something. Here it is, the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she spent every penny that she had. She was sick. She had a hemorrhaging problem. Couldn't, I mean, going to all of these doctors and, and just spending all of her money, and she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. And somewhere in her, there developed a faith in her that said, now watch this, Jesus is among the crowd. There, you know, whenever Jesus went out, there were people that were always around him. We talk about rock star treatment. Jesus was kind of getting that. People was bumping him and hitting him all the time. But here it is. This woman said in her heart, here's what she said. She said, now, if I can just touch, if I can just get my fingers on the hem of his garments, I'll be healed. And so Jesus is among the crowd. He's among the crowd. 
and people are touching him. I'm sure, I mean, much more physically than this woman did because all she was trying to do was just, I just need to touch his garments. And when she touched Jesus, immediately she was healed. I submit to you, she was healed because she had an expectation that if she touched him, that God would do something, that she would be delivered. And Jesus said, out of all the people who touched him, because the disciples said, how do you say, why are you asking us who touched you and all these people are bumping up into you, Lord? What, what are you talking about? Jesus said, no, no, somebody touched me with a faith. I, I felt power go out of me. You see, God only responds when we approach him with a faith and with expectation. How many know that if you come into an environment, how many of you ever been in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation or maybe, for an example, in a church where there's an atmosphere of faith or been around people that you just know that at any moment that something wonderful could happen, that you, you can't even quite put your finger on it, but there's a sense that you are in the mix of a people that is believing God and they are expecting God to do something miraculous. You see, it doesn't matter what it is that you're believing God for. Whether you're on the football field, you ought to have a kind of faith that says, you know what, I prayed to my God, you know what, I'm going to win and I'm going to defeat the individual that is in front of me. Or whether you're running track. You can get out there and say, you know what? My God will strengthen me. God is going to give me the power to be able to do what I need to do to find myself in a winning position. Whatever it is in life that you're doing, listen to me. You got to come to God with an expectation that something good is about to happen. Because God is not moved when we don't have any faith. He's not moved. You know, I, you know and I, I've heard people say, you know, and they, they've talked, and, you know, God, let me tell you something. One of the things that, 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 that is universal and never change, the just shall live by faith. In other words, we must have an expectation that God is going to do something. How many know that whenever you have an expectation, it changes your whole way of living, the way you carry yourself? See, if you're sick and you really believe that God's going to heal you, then you act like it. I remember Magic Johnson years ago, and I'm, I've always been a hardcore Laker fan, and I, and I don't apologize for that. Hallelujah. You Boston Celtic back there. I don't apologize for it. And I remember that when Magic Johnson first contracted, contracted the AIDS virus, and you know, back in those days, if you got it, usually within a couple years, you were pretty much gone. When he, back in the days when Magic Johnson had gotten it. And I remember now, Magic Johnson is still going strong today. He says that the Lord healed him. But one of the things that I saw in Magic Johnson was that Magic kept saying that he had a faith in God, and he was always happy. He was, I mean, every time I saw him, he had that big old Kool-Aid smile, like that he knew that he was healed. And so whenever you came around Magic Johnson, there was no feeling in Magic. When you got around Magic Johnson, that Magic Johnson was sitting back saying, oh, poor me. Oh, God is not going to heal me. Oh, I'm going to die. I'm never going to amount to anything. Nothing ever good is ever going to happen. No, no. Whenever you saw Magic Johnson, he was living life. And he was living life to the fullest. He had a big smile on his face. And this man had an expectation that he was going to live and not die. You see, an expectation. This is something that as a believer, as a Christian, we, we should always be expecting God to do something. That should always, people should, listen to me, people should be excited to be around you because there's an optimism about you. Because you serve a God who is bigger than anything that you can be confronted with in life. Turn to Mark chapter 11, you're already there. Mark chapter number 11, as I was, uh, we were praying in Wednesday, and God began to show me some things about this expectation. I saw the picture, I saw the picture so clearly. Because, you know, after a while, you can serve God, and before you know it, you can find yourself in a place where you can just kind of say, well, you know what, nothing's ever going to change. Things are going to always remain the same. God is not going to change this situation. 
But how many know that, that that is not the kind of faith that we need to operate in if we want God to move on our behalf? In Mark chapter number 11, and we'll start reading in verses 12 through 14, and then we're going to read verses 20 through 24. Mark chapter 11, verse number 12. Are you there? Whoever? I got to get there. Mark chapter 11, verse number 12. Now, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And he seen from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Look at verse number 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse have withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatsoever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. That is powerful what Jesus said. Here the fig tree, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. The next day, now how many know that when he spoke to the fig tree, nothing happened? See, that goes to show that sometimes when you're praying in faith, that when you pray, sometimes you don't see the manifestation right away. Sometimes you have to wait a couple of weeks. Sometimes you have to wait a couple of months. Sometimes you have to wait a couple of years. But sometimes you don't see the manifestation right away. Now, when Jesus said to the fig tree, nothing else is going to grow on you, in his mind, it was done. Now, the next day, Peter comes along, sees the same fig tree. It was as if you can catch the picture. Here we go. Okay. You can catch the picture that it is as if Peter himself was kind of like wondering, is that fig tree really going to be cursed? Because the next day Peter comes out and he sees the fig tree and Peter says, Lord, 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 did, did you see this? You know why Peter was so excited? Because Peter didn't really have an expectation. Peter was more skeptical in it than anything else. How many know that we have a lot of skeptical Christians in the house of God? People who don't really, really believe that the thing is going to be cursed from its roots. But they're just kind of skeptical, and they just kind of say, mm, you know, let me kind of see. I'm not really sure if God's really going to do this, but let me just kind of see. How many know that is not an attitude of faith? And Jesus began, I love Jesus so much and so many reasons, for so many reasons, because he takes that moment and he begins to teach. Because the Bible says that when he told, when he made the comment that let no fruit, no one eat fruit from you ever again, he said it in the, in the presence of his disciples, knowing that they would hear it. So when they see it the next day, he can use it as a, as a lesson to teach them about faith in God. Jesus says to them, he said, look. When you have a problem, when you have a mountain, whoever uh, speaks to his mountains being removed and cast into the sea and do not doubt, it will be done. He used it as a teaching moment. You see, a mountain is, uh, is reflective of a problem, an obstacle, a, a trial, or a difficulty. All of us have that. And Jesus says that speak to your mountain. Now, this is not superstition. It is not like, you know, you just kind of say poof and things just happen. But it is a declaration of faith that when you begin to declare the word of God over your situation, you get God's attention. You remember the woman who had the issue? She touched Jesus. When she touched him, she got his attention. 
It's something about when we speak to our problems. I don't care if it's a financial problem, a relational problem, a problem in your family, a problem in your marriage, whatever the problem might be, but we need to come to a place when we can declare the word of the Lord over our situation. Because when we start praying with that kind of faith, all heavens open up for us. Because all things, the Bible says that all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible. So we need to begin to learn to speak to our mouth. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why do you need to keep hearing it? Because there's always voices in your mind that's telling you to doubt God. There are always voices in your mind saying that this thing is not going to happen. How many know the devil loves to get you on the side and whisper all kind of things to you about you're wasting your time. God is not going to really come through for you. But see, the more that you surround yourself, here's, here's why it's so important to get in the word. Keep the word of God in your mind because your mind, in my mind, it needs to be renewed. And the more you hear the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, then you develop a faith to believe it. And when you have a kind of tenacity of faith in God, that God is going to change your situation, let me tell you something. You're on your way to winning. You're on your way to victory because, you see, you're speaking with faith. And he says here that, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I've heard people always want to keep talking about, you know, well, what if, Pastor? What if I... You know what? People got more faith for the what if than having faith in God that can bring it to pass. There's nothing in the Bible to tell us when we talk about praying in faith to keep being worried about what if. How many know if you play sports, like these gentlemen here, they, they play sports. You know right off the bat that when they talk to you, they give you a pep talk, ain't no what if, coach. What if, I, I don't know. If we go, nobody want to hear that. Why? Because you're already defeated. Even people in the secular world know that. And they put their trust in themselves. But we got a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He's not limited in any way. We can put our faith and trust in him knowing that he has the power to bring it about. And so we don't want to, the Bible says whenever you stand praying, I don't, I don't want to hear about the what is. I, all I know is this. I know that if I walk into this thing, if I'm believing God, and I, listen, and I don't even have faith to believe him, I'm not even on the game. I haven't even gotten on the field yet. Because if I don't really believe that what I'm praying for, that God is going to give it to me, then you may as well save that prayer. Because the Bible says in James chapter 1, I'm not going to turn there, the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And then the Bible goes on to say in the book of James that let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Why? Because he's double-minded. Well, I think God's going to do it. I hope God do it. I'm not really sure God's going to do it. I hope. How many know that that's not praying in faith? Once you have determined that what you're praying for is within the confine of this word, you can begin to declare the word of the Lord over your situation in faith. And so when we stand praying, then we must believe or can the prayer. Because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible. We can't move. He cannot move heaven and earth if we're sitting here with doubt and unbelief. How many, how many know that? And, you know, and there, there are people that can sense that in your life. They can sense whether or not you really believe God. And they can sense if you're just kind of going. People know it right off the bat if they have their spiritual antennas on. And so we don't need to be worried about, oh, what if, oh, what, you know, don't talk me to death about the what if. Let's generate some faith, uh, let's generate some faith in what he will do. Let's talk about that instead of the what if, because you know what? Well, here's what I've learned. We can what if it all day long. We can what if it until the end of time. Let me tell you something. You will never achieve anything great for God if you're always double-minded, not really sure if God is hearing you and if he's going to answer your prayer. You should be to such a point in God that every time you open your mouth and you pray, you should be believing. God, I'm believing for you, believing for this. I'm going to confess this word. 
and I'm going to say it until I believe it. If I don't believe it yet, I'm going to keep saying it. Until... Now, this, like I said, this is not superstition. It's a declaration of faith. God moves on our faith. Now, let's talk here a moment about the atmosphere of faith. Because you always hear me talk about atmosphere. Atmosphere is very important. God cannot move in an environment where people don't really have an expectation that he's going to do something wonderful. If people don't have an expectation that God is going to move, God will not move. You will have whatever it is that you say or whatever it is that you believe. Here, and look at, uh, I'm going to turn, I got three scriptures I want to show you and then I'm going to be done. In Matthew chapter number 13, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is in his own hometown. He's around his own homeboys, if you will. In Matthew chapter number 13, verse number 58, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, yes, verse 53 through 58. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there, and when he came to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Look at verse 58. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here that Jesus is in his own hometown. I want everybody to listen to me. This, this, this is good. Listen, listen to this. Jesus is in his own hometown. Jesus is wanting to do mighty works. But because the atmosphere wasn't conducive for it, he didn't move. The Bible says that he didn't do mighty works there. Not because he didn't want to do mighty works, but because the people that were there, the atmosphere was full of unbelief. People who didn't believe God. You know, I've seen time, I've been in church for many, many years. And I've seen situations where we bring people up and we're praying. You get, a, you know, you get a, a bunch of people around. One of the things you always want to do, give you just, this, this is for free. If you are believing God for something, all right. And you really believe in God to do what you're asking God. Find some people that you know that will believe God and have faith. If they don't have any faith, don't bother with them. I'm not saying don't talk to them. But when you really believe in God for something, yoke up with somebody who can who have some faith. Because here Jesus said Jesus was there. Jesus was wanting to do mighty works, but he couldn't do it. Why couldn't he? Because the people there, they kept thinking about, well, we grew up with you, you know. Who do you think you are? They couldn't get over that. And so the Bible says, God, Jesus, I, he, he didn't do many works there. Couldn't do it. Because the atmosphere was full of doubt and unbelief. We've had people that, you know, we pray for. And I can look there. You can sometimes, you can scan. When you're up here, you can see a lot. And you can see the people that sit there, they have no faith. They're thinking to themselves, well, uh, you know, they just go through the motions. And you know what? Whenever you have an atmosphere full of doubt and unbelief, the power and the move of God is hindered. One of the things, I don't care what you believe about, I don't care what you believe about, uh, uh, what's this gentleman's name uh, the, who has had this uh, Lakewood revival? Um, you know, I don't know what all his theological perspectives is, but let me tell you something. That, let me tell you why God moved there. It's because the people would come from all over the world. It was bigger than him. See, I always look at things, it's bigger than the individual that's there. When God is involved, it's always bigger than the person. Always. People will come from all over the world. They will spend money. They will buy, I mean, expensive plane tickets. They will sacrifice just to come and be into an environment of faith where we can believe God for the impossible. And when you go in that environment, those people are screaming. They are shouting. Why? Because they are expecting God to move. They're just not there saying, okay, I'm going to have another church experience. I mean, no, we don't need no more church experiences. We've had a, we got a bunch of those. I want God to move in a way. There got to be an atmosphere, and it got to start with us. An atmosphere that says, you know what, God, we're going to make this thing conducive for you to come in your mighty power and show yourself strong, but there got to be a people that will believe God that he can do what he says. 
Because when there's an atmosphere of faith, that's the only way that God moves. But when there's an atmosphere, and, and, and by the way, an atmosphere with faith is contagious. But see, an atmosphere with doubt and unbelief, I'm going to show you in a moment, is also contagious. So which ones do we want to be? Jarius. I won't turn there. I'll just, I'll just give you the scripture reference. In Luke chapter number 8, Jarius had a daughter who was sick. and She was at the point of death. In fact, she ended up dying. They called Jesus on the scene. Watch this now. I want to hear this. They called Jesus there to heal this girl. Jesus get there. And they say, you know what? By the time he get there, this girl had died. She's dead. Gone. Jesus come on the scene. Jesus says, uh, he says, she's fine. She just, she's resting. And the Bible said that they ridiculed him. They yelled and screamed. They said, what, what's wrong? She is dead. It's over. And all the folks who were there, the majority of them were saying, don't trouble yourself. Get away. Don't worry about it. But he, Jesus did something very, very interesting. Think about this. Talking about atmosphere. Jesus, when he got ready to heal this girl, he put out of the room everybody. He got away from everybody who didn't believe. And he took with him Peter and John and the mama and daddy. He brought them into the room and he prayed. And the girl was raised. She came, her spirit, she revived. Her spirit came back into her. But what happened there? Jesus knew if he is the son of God, now if he wants to because he has all power, could he not just heal even though there's a bunch of people there with unbelief? Why does Jesus have to, why does he, being the son of God, take this, uh, the, the, the food that he took into a room separately from everybody else? I mean, he's God. He can just heal because let me tell you something. He knew, just like we should knew, we should know, that if there's an atmosphere of unbelief and doubt, God can't move. It hinders the move of God. And so there got to be an atmosphere of faith. If you're expecting God to do something, listen, you link up with people that's going to believe God. When you want some prayer warriors, talk to some folks that got some faith. Because faith moves mountains. It really, really does. And Jesus put out the people. He said, get out. He said, y'all got to go. Y'all got to go because, you know, you're going to hinder what God is trying to do here. And that's a profound lesson. The last scripture I want to show you. And then we're going to be done. It's in Numbers chapter number 13. How many know that? <laughs> Do you understand what we're talking about? We're talking about the, the atmosphere. How important that is. Because, you see, we, we're going somewhere with this. In Numbers chapter number 13, Moses was the, the leader of the people. They came to a point now where they are ready to go in and possess their land of promise. I mean, the stage is set. All they got to do now is go in and take possession. And Moses decides to put together a band of people, one man that represented every tribe. So he sent 12 folks over to the land of Canaan to spy out the land. And I believe that God had Moses do that because God wanted them to taste and see what he was about to give them so that they could get excited about this thing. And sure enough, the 12 spies, they go over into the land of Canaan and they see all the fruit. They see that it is truly a land flowing with milk and honey, but they also see all the obstacles. And then they come back and they want to give Moses a report. Now, keep in mind, there are 12 of them that went. They saw the same land. Now, God had already told them that I'm going to give you this land. God, they had been roaming around in the desert, and God had told them previously, this belongs to you. It is yours. So all, the, all they were doing, the spies were just going to get some intelligence, if you will. They were like a form of the, the CIA going in there to try to figure out, okay, how are we going to attack and possess what God has for us? Funny thing, though. They come back to give a report to Moses. Watch what it says here. And watch this. Look at verse number 27 in Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 13. Then uh, they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. 
But nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, they are too strong. <laughs> the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we even saw the descendants of Amnak there. We, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Look at verse 30. But then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. Ah, that's, that's a man of faith right there. For we are well able to overcome it. But what did they say? But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried. What are they crying for? And the people wept that night. In other words, they went to bed just on a word of, of doubt and unbelief, crying. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? But then look at verse number six. But Joshua said to the son of Nun, Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land tore his clothes? And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. But if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Now, you're talking about faith. Talking about connecting with some folks with faith. Here it is that the 12 men went, 10 of them, if only, you know, I was thinking I was reading this. I said to myself, you know what? If only, if only the, the, the 10 had just shut up, if only the 10 said nothing, then the, if they just would have let Caleb and Joshua spoke, speak, then they would have went in. They would have took possession of what God had already promised. Do you see how unbelief and doubt and having no expectation poisons a whole move of God? These people got to a point, watch this, where they, they are crying. They forgot all about the God saying that this land is yours. It's yours. I've, I've already gave it to you. But because of 10 folks who had no faith, who did not believe God, poisoned the whole atmosphere. And guess what? Now everybody's in doubt and unbelief. And none of them who cried, God got so mad at, most, at, at, at the people. God said, look, I am, he said, <laughs> God said, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? How long will these people not believe me? They keep rejecting me. I keep doing great things for them, but every time they get in a difficult situation, they don't believe me. How long do I got to keep putting up with this? God said, Moses, I'm going to raise up another people who will believe me. Moses interceded. Moses said, no, 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 God, don't, 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 don't do that. See, the power of intercession. Thank God that we got some Moses that know how to pray. Moses interceded. He said, no, God, if you do that, then the people are going to talk about it and say you brought these people all the way over here and you could not bring them into their land of promise. God, have mercy on these people. God said, okay, I'm going to have mercy on them. But you know what? All, the, all this generation of people, they're not going to get in. But Caleb and Joshua, because they had a different spirit, because they had a tenacity of faith that they believed me, they will enter into the land of promise. But the others, they're not going to enter. And guess what? That whole generation of people died off. Could God have kept them alive? Yes. I mean, God could have still just took them into the land of promise. I mean, he could have did that, right? Because, by the way, he's gone. But God let them roam for 40 more years. He killed off a whole generation of people. He said, your, 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 he said the ones that you said are going to be your victims, your children, your little ones, they're going to be the ones that are going to get in, but you're not going to get in. 
And, you know, that spoke volumes to me because, you see, what it says is that we can cry all day until we're blue in the face. But until we come to a point that we're going to believe God, nothing is going to happen. You see, the land, God had already promised that the land was theirs. Just like God has made some promises to you. You already have it. But you got to go and take possession of it. It's, it's equivalent to a person that says, I'm believing God for a job. <laughs> but they stay home all day and watch television. You ain't really believing God for no job because if you were really believing God for a job, your expectation will cause you to get your butt up and you begin to walk out in faith and you believe that God is going to lead you to the right people, that God is going to open up the doors for you to get a job. Listen, God can give you something, but until you get up and go and take possession of it, you're not going to get it. You'll stay right where you are, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It doesn't matter. You'll stay there. And the dream will just die off. Why? Because God requires that his people operate in faith. You and I got to have an expectation that God is going to do something. I don't care what it is you believe in God for. There must be an expectation. See, God spoke this, spoke this to me profoundly. He said, you know, as we were praying the other day, and, uh, and I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, just praying about the church. And God just brought this thing to me so vividly. He said, and, 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 and I'm a big part of the problem, may I add, because the level of expectation has never been one here in this church to what it should have been. Let me tell you why. Because since the inception of our ministry, there has been people that have asked God for things. We prayed, but we haven't went out to possess anything. We sit back every week and we just look and we say, okay, God, bring them here. I remember one year, um, I think everybody is here that was here then. We had our first Easter service. How many of you remember our first Easter service over in? And I, and I thought to myself, man, you know, this is great. All we got to do is put up a couple signs, right? Everybody, right, we went and got a big old, remember that sign, Kenny, we put out there? That big old sign that said, you know, Easter service starts at this time, Easter egg hunt. And we're thinking, man, everybody was saying, boy, Easter boy is going to, the people are just going to come. And I remember that we didn't have one visitor. I think we may have your parents. Uh, no, I think your mom came. And Joy came, I think. That was it. Nobody came. You know why? Because God says, yeah. Remember he said earlier, the harvest is out there. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is the laborers. The people who won't go out and do the work to bring them in. God can make you a promise. God, is, God said to me, God said, I'm telling you, it's yours. But there got to be an expectation. Because how many know when you expect something, you act differently, doesn't it? Your personality change. When you talk to other people, for an example, I'm using the church as an example, but you can really apply this to any area in your life. But when you talk to the people about, about what it is you believe in God, how many know that people can sense, they know, if you're excited, if you're happy about it, then they say, oh, wow. I, I want to come visit. That it sounds like you. Got, oh wow! But if you go there, and you say, "Yeah, um, you know, I, yeah, we got we got a church. I mean, you know, you can you can come out. We like to have you." As opposed to, yeah, you know what? God is doing some great things. God is going to build. God is going to raise us up. We're going to make a huge impact. We are believing God for the impossible. Let me tell you, when you start speaking like that, people latch on to that. Why? Because they sense that there's an expectation. And listen to me, and we can sit here, all, we, can listen, we can stay here for the next year, six months, two years, and we can look at the same empty chairs, or we can say, you know what? I'm going to raise my expectation. And I'm going to do, I'm not going to do like this. I'm not going to die off and face my God having opportunity, having opportunity to reach people for God. And this is not about just reaching people to come to church. We're talking about changing people's lives, getting people off of drugs, getting families back together, people off of alcohol. I was listening to Kenny the other day. He was telling me about somebody who's having all these problems. He's searching a gentleman that he's been witnessing to. This is about people that are lost and they need Christ. We have all of the answers. So figure out a way 
you know, some, I believe some, some believers, they really believe that it's an option to serve God. Alert, alert, we were called to be servants in the kingdom. When you guys, if, if, if it was all about just uh, getting into heaven, God would have just taken you at the moment you got saved. Because all we're doing is just sucking up air. He left us here because he expects us to serve with an expectation that he is going to bring in the harvest. God is working on the hearts of people. There are people in your neighborhoods, in the grocery stores. And I'm, listen to me, this word is more for me than it is for you. There are people out there, the harvest is there, but we got to go and get them. God will prepare their hearts. But there got to be in this place a level of expectation to say, you know what? Something's going to happen. And so these various ministries that we got, we maximize, whether it's youth ministry or whether it's uh, men's ministry or whether it's children's ministry. Oh, you know what? Why don't you be creative and ask God and start your own ministry? Many people don't think that way. Well, you know what? I can start my own and expect that I can get some fruit out of this. How many know life has much more purpose when you're really doing something great for God? It's when in your giving that life is fulfilled. It's in your giving that you feel good about the life and living. It's when we hoard and we're all about ourselves. You're not really happy. But, boy, I love it when I'm able to see people's lives changed, people's lives impacted. I was talking to a gentleman last night over at the mall. He was telling me how bad he wanted to be a Marine. How bad. You know, I've been praying. I've been, God, you know, I want opportunities. I, I just want to just go about. I just want to be so filled with the Holy Ghost that I just begin to pray for people. And I said, brother, I'm going to pray for you. You know, and I told him I was a pastor. I said, I'm going to believe God. He said, yeah, I've been, I've been praying, pastor. I've been praying. I said, yeah, brother, I'm going to believe God with you. His name is Lee. His name is Lee, L-E-E. He's over at Dick's Sporting Goods over in Spotsylvania Mall. If you ever go there, look for Lee. And I told Lee, I said, Lee, I'm praying for you. And he said, no, pastor, I'm just starting to get back in church. I'm, I'm just, I haven't been going, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get. And God was showing me there are opportunities all over the place. My, my daughter, my, my kids who are scared to death to open, for some reason, scared for Jesus. And we just got to pray that off of y'all, all of you, that just get it away, get bold for Jesus. They go out and they just start, hey, here, just start handing out flyers. And then we start getting phone calls. You know why? Because let me tell you, the more you do that, the more your faith is developed, and you develop an expectation. And when you have an expectation, you create an environment for God to move. But he ain't going to move. He'll give you the land. He says, it's yours, but you ain't going to get it until you go and possess it. You got to get up, and I, we got to get up and say, I'm going to go and get them, because alert, alert, they're not coming. Anybody that ever did anything great for God, they had to get up, and they had to, they had to move in faith. They're not just going to walk in. we got to do something. So you figure out a way and raise your level of expectation. Some of you got ministries right down on the inside of you. I believe it because God has been speaking that to me. Some of you got things and gifts right in the inside of you. You just need a venue in order to, to use it. You just, need, you just need a vehicle by which to express your gifts. Pray and ask God because you're expected to. God, how can I be used? Because you know what? Nothing is promised. Nothing is promised except eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? And the fulfillment of his will. So why don't we pray? Before we, before we do that, I want to give you just one analogy and we're done. And I, here's what I think God said to me the other day. I, I was reminded of this bully that used to bully me all the time when I was in school. And he used to take my lunch. This guy used to come to school with his shirt was all, he looked like the Incredible Hulk the way he dressed. I mean, his sleeve was always kind of open and his shirt was always, he always had it, you know, his shirt un, unbuttoned. It was always a chest. The dude was just, he was just crazy. And I was scared to death of him. But the man would just bully me and bully me and bully me and bully me. The one day I said, enough. Sick and tired of it. And I stood up and still scared. I'm shaking. But I said, you know what? No more. That's it. I ain't taking this no more. And I believe that God has got us to a point that the devil has just been bullying us and bullying us. And God sometimes will bring you to a point where you got to either sink or swim. He brings you to a point where, he, where, you, where we finally say, you know what? 
I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to stay here anymore and let the devil just beat me up. It's over. No more. I ain't going to have it. And I think sometimes God will just let you, let us get to a point that we finally get that realization and we go up and say, okay, I'm going to do something, you know. And I don't, I don't mean, and I'm going to use Kenneth's example. He'll probably get mad at me, but I'll, I'll kiss and we'll make up. A holy kiss. Uh, but, but listen, um, even, even Kenny, I've never seen Kenny so excited about passing. You hand out them flyers, pastor, give me some CDs. But you just tell me, well, we can do this. We, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm realizing something. Kenny is just getting tired. He's like, either I'm going I'm to sink or I'm going to swim. I'm just getting tired of being beat up and going through the sink. I'm going to do something about it. And you know what God is saying? Finally. Finally. Now we're getting it. It takes everybody doing their part. Whether it's making a phone call, doing an article, you know, whether it's working with the youth or working with men ministry or whatever it is, whatever, you just name it. Or you starting up your own ministry. It takes everybody saying, you know what, I ain't gonna be, I'm not going to let the devil beat me up anymore. It's over. I'm going to do something about it. And then the good that God let us get all the way to that point, he'll just sit down and watch us spin our tires. And you can't you ain't going nowhere until, you, until we, the light bulb comes on and it's like, oh, I, there you go, I got it. That's the word, the prophetic word that God has for us in this church. So I'm going to be calling on you. But you decide, you pray. And I'm talking to you, 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 and you, all you young people as well, because all of you have something to offer. Every one of you. Because in a couple years, y'all going to be grown. And life ain't promised. You ain't promised to live till you're 40 or 50. But it make a difference now. With the air you breathe in now, start to make a difference. Because nothing is promised. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this word. Father, I thank you for this prophetic word that you have spoken to us as a church, as a people, God. Give us the courage, Lord, to go and possess. Even though, Lord, we got to take up our guns and we got to go into the battle a little bit, it's not going to be convenient. When the children of Israel, Lord, when they inherited their land of promise, when they finally went in and took possession, they had to go out and fight. They had to, they had to use their guns. They had to go in. They had to possess. They had to defeat their enemies. But you told them that if they did that, if they just took a step of faith, that you would give them the victory. And so it was. Father, give us the courage to take a step of faith to and receive the victory that you have already given us. You have, Lord, this is your will for us to grow a ministry, to make disciples. What we're doing here, God, is what you told us to do. And so, Lord, if it's not happening, then, God, it's something that we're not doing right. Maybe our priorities are all over the place. I don't know what it is, God. But, Lord, we're going to make a new covenant with you to live out the rest of our lives, figuring out a way of how we can make an impact. We want to leave our mark on this generation for our children and our children's children. That's what we want to do. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.